Hey everybody, you're listening to episode 79 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Wanna ring the bell? Alright. Ding, ding. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And we made a a strong push this weekend to to cover this movie. I I was impressed with both of us. As of, of what, like Friday night, we were, it was not looking good. I think we had, I gave us like 20% odds of seeing this movie to be able to record it, but we pulled through. Yes, I got out of the theater uh, at midnight last night, and we are recording at 9 a.m. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's dedication, complete it's a, dedication. It's a quick turnaround. Yeah, to a movie that most people are probably like, yeah, you know, maybe on DVD, and here we are, you know, you're powering through at midnight last night to record nine hours later. So, impressive feat. For the people. For the people. <laughs> Only for the people. <laughs> you want to you wanna tell everybody what we're talking about? Cold Pursuit. Liam Neeson's. Yeah, we thought we thought Liam Neeson's was going to what this is going to be like Tooken 4 is kind of what we thought maybe. Yeah, and I think he thought he was in Tooken 4. <laughs> I love that you said that because that's like that's going to be a running thread for me, so I'm glad you you teed that one up. Yes, that I I agree completely with with what you're going to go with on that one, I think. <laughs> but you know, uh, okay, I'm not going to get into it just yet. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more. So uh, <laughs> let, let's go letterbox blurb, movie info, and then we'll dive into it. So letterbox blurb, Nels Coxman's quiet life comes crashing down when his beloved son dies under mysterious circumstances. His search for the truth soon becomes a quest for revenge as he seeks cold-blooded justice against a drug lord and his inner circle. Directed by Hans Peter Morland, who is a Norwegian director who seems to love working with Stellan Skarsgård, which I think most people maybe don't. Like, Stellan Skarsgård, I think, is a that guy. Don't you think? Well, I think uh, Dr. Selvig in Avengers and Thor is his claim to fame. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't think that's going to do it for people. I think you need to explain. Who... He, I mean, he's, he, he's been a lot <laughs> of is. other... I mean, he's been in a, what, a beautiful mind. No, no, no. Uh, I botched it. Dang it. Goodwill hunting is what I was thinking of. <laughs> Yeah. Shoot, for all I know, he may be in a beautiful mind too. <laughs> well, yeah, so so he's in a ton of stuff. And I, and I actually, I do think you're right that people will recognize him from the Marvel movies. I just thought that you giving the name of that character was not going to do anybody any good. No, I agree. So he's in Thor. He's the guy who knows all about the Bifrost and the, the theory of Thor. And then in Avengers, he's the one that gets turned early on by Loki and helps unlock the power of the Tesseract and all that stuff. And he... He keeps showing up, although I feel like, was he in Infinity War? Like, did, did they randomly show him at some point? No, I don't think so. I don't remember seeing him. Okay. But he's like uh, uh, a more, very much more minor Nick Fury, where he, there for a while, was in like, it felt like every Marvel movie he just kept appearing in because he was somehow a thread. But I feel like they maybe stopped after uh, Thor 2 and Avengers. Yeah, he was trying to give the scientific background of it when they couldn't get uh, Natalie Portman to come back. Right. <laughs> so anyway, this director is Norwegian. He, I noticed in his filmography, he's done like two or three movies with Stellan Skarsgård. But the one movie that he did with Stellan Skarsgård that we have to 
address is the original version of this movie. Uh, I think, so it came out in 2014. Um, like I said, it's Norwegian, so we probably didn't hear about it over here at first. I think its original name was Hard Powder, which reminds me of Hard Rain um, from the 90s with Christian Slater. So that's not a good title. No. <laughs> but when they brought it over here to America, they renamed it In Order of Disappearance, which if you, if you caught this uh, at the end of the movie, when they roll the credits, that's actually what they titled the credits uh, in Cold Pursuit. They say In Order of Disappearance, and they start peeling people off, which, which was pretty clever. Yeah, I like that. And then uh, when I went back to see who this director was, because I was we'll, we'll get into the why later to see what else he did. Um, I saw In Order of Disappearance pop up, and I was like, wait a second. You know, he used that in this movie. And so I watched the trailer, and it is a shot-for-shot remake uh, of that. So every, every joke that you saw in this movie was in that movie. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. That happens with a lot of movies. Um, and you know me, I, I'm typically somebody who likes the originals better, but normally I've seen the originals first. Like, you know, you and I have had plenty of discussions on the podcast and off the podcast about Old Boy. Uh, there's another one that I loved way back in the day. I think it might have actually been Norwegian or Swedish too. Um, uh, Let the Right One In was the original version, and then the American version, I think, is maybe Let Me In, I think. Yes. I can't remember, yes. but I actually never saw the American version, so I can't say whether I, I disapproved, but it was one of those where I really liked the original version, so I, I didn't even really want to see the American version. Um, So I wish I had seen this one first, and I haven't even seen the trailer like you have, but the fact that you say it's a shot-for-shot remake, um, I'd be very curious to know how it worked in the original, just to see if I feel different about it. You know, the rest of the cast, so we obviously have Liam Neeson, we have Laura Dern, uh, thankfully without purple hair this time, so that we wouldn't have lost you in the first few minutes of the movie. Exactly, but she was lost in the first few minutes of the movie, so. <laughs> True. Uh, Emmy Rossum, Tom Bateman, John Doman, who I call a poor man's Hank from Breaking Bad, which, <laughs> to, to your point earlier, if we call Hank a poor man's Bruce Willis, then we're, we're calling John Doman is a poor man's poor man's Bruce Willis. <laughs> which which I don't get the poor man from Breaking Bad, uh, but... Uh, he doesn't remind you of Hank from Breaking Bad? He doesn't. He doesn't. I, wow. I can see it, but that's not what I think. When, oh when, man, when he's even him. got like the same, he's got like the same permanent kind of scowl on his face with a furrowed brow. And I feel like every role he's ever in is a cop. Oh, I can see that now. Yeah. He's either a cop or a, a mob boss. Like those are the two, <laughs> yeah. the two that he plays. Right. Um, and then the last person I want to mention in the cast, which Why? I, I didn't Stop. want to spoil this for you. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about this. I didn't, I, I didn't want to spoil this for you, but it's... Like, we don't get to see a whole lot of movies together anymore, but I wanted, like, I part of me wanted to drive up there and meet you at the theater and just come in for the few minutes when I knew this was going to happen and just watch your face when he pops up on screen. And I but, threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> William Forsyth, who I think we might have talked about at one point on the podcast. I, I don't even know what to say that about was, it. When he the, rock, in on screen. The, the Rock retro review, we talked a lot about William Forsyth. Gotcha. Okay. He sucks. He sucks. <laughs> yeah, the guy has... He hasn't really been around since. I mean, he was in every '90s Seagal movie doing something as a bad guy. It felt like, and not. I know he wasn't in multiple Seagal movies. Although he might have been. I'm not saying definitively that he wasn't, but I mean, that's the kind of movies I always associate him with. And so for him to show up in this was just super bizarre. So okay, so because you brought that up, I have to go back a little bit. So the title, Cold Pursuit. 
is just the worst title you could come up with. It sounds like a straight-to-DVD title. It sounds like those 90s action titles. Totally. And as I'm sitting there in the theater, as the, the credits are starting, I'm like, that's a really, really crappy, crappy title. Cold Pursuit. I mean, that's like hard to kill, you know? You know, it's just all the hard target, stupid stupid title and yeah. so when you said hard snow it was the original title that doesn't surprise no, me no, no. hard powder hard powder that's even worse i don't know hard <laughs> snow i don't know but uh so so when william forsyth popped up on the screen i already had this 90s action type movie thing in my head and i wonder if they saw the title and said yep we need william forsyth in this movie <laughs> it could have been like and that's the weird thing about this movie. So now that we're through the cast and everything, we can start kind of diving into it. Like part of it did feel like it was trying to be sort of like this generic nineties action movie and almost even at times poke fun at those movies. Cause you, it was very, you know, run of the mill plot in terms of uh, there's drug dealers and they just happen to be in this town where there's uh, a, a drug battle going on. And some of it's by half of its territory by the white guys and half of its territory by the native Americans which then anytime I see an action movie with Native Americans, I think of On Deadly Ground with Steven Seagal. So again, I'm back in like the 90s action movie, but the plot was just, it kind of was straight out of the 90s, right? Because you and I have joked too, um, all the random jobs that sometimes the 90s action heroes had, like obviously there's like the default cop, but then they would make Van Damme be like a firefighter for some reason, but he just magically was a really kick-ass firefighter. So Liam Neeson is a snowplow driver, but yet he's kind of a kick-ass snowplow driver. And we find out later that he has tie. His family was basically in the drug business too. It's just, it is very, very nineties. Well, this, I mean, the snowplow scene of just him plowing snow that was twenty feet deep. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just in awe of like that. The fact that that one that truck can move through all that, you know, and that that's someone's job to do every day. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, like that, that was ridiculous to have all the, all, you saw all the cars, you know, traveling behind the, the giant snow plow and they're all basically in this tunnel of snow like that yeah. would be scary. And also you know, to be driving in that the walls of ice on either side of you, like that was nuts. Yeah. It wasn't even that bad in Russia when Rocky trained there. <laughs> You're right. It was not. <laughs> I mean, he was able to just run up the side of a mountain in the Russian winter, and here these people out in Denver can't even get through some roads. <laughs> well, Rocky is better than than Liam Neeson, so I guess we'll never know. Maybe if Rocky retired and became a snowplow driver, <laughs> he he already has the trucking experience from over the top. He just put a put, put a <laughs> right. put a snowplow on the front of that. <laughs> All he needs is a little thing to work out his arm while he snowplows. <laughs> All right, so I, I think we both agree this it had some nineties elements to it and there's really kind of no way of, of getting around what it, what it was trying to be. Um, I don't think I would be very interested to know what people feel like when they walk out of this movie, as long as they walked into it blind, because I think like we joked about people are expecting Liam Neeson commuter taken those kinds of movies. And, um, that's, I don't want to say that's not what you get because I think you kind of do, but in many, many ways you don't. Um, I don't, I don't know. What were your thoughts on, on what they tried to do with this movie? I thought the tone was all over the place. And so 
like like we we alluded to at the beginning was uh Liam is in Taken 4 and stays in Taken 4 while the rest of them are in some Guy Ritchie movie. And that's that's kind of how so when we first get introduced to the bad guy it's like this guy sucks. Yeah. You know, but initially the the Viking, the Viking sucks. Now the Viking in a movie, totally this dark comedy, maybe not as bad, but when we get introduced to him, he's Liam's nemesis, you know? And so it's like, this doesn't fit at all. And then the, as the story goes, like, wait a second, it's Liam that doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. You know, it's his whole story that, that doesn't fit. Yeah. So I think, I think you made the comment earlier, but I, I almost wonder, <laughs> I mean, there's no way they really did this, but it feels like they didn't let Liam in on what they were going to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it's a very serious look at it from his perspective. So his, his son gets murdered. He's trying to con- commit suicide at one point. His wife leaves him. He doesn't have a lot to joke around about. His is a very serious plot line. Yet the mob boss whose son gets kidnapped, you know, and all that, they're all having, you know, a whole heyday with everything. It, it's a very different <laughs> Uh, like Liam's acting as if that this is his real son that gets taken and how he, <laughs> how, he's, how he's responding to this, you know, it, it's, it's a very weird dynamic that yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They told him it was this kind of movie and he's not in any scenes with the other guys until the end. So how does he know that they're all joking around? Yeah. I mean, there's a few moments where you feel like Liam kind of got the hint, like, um, he tracks one guy down in the snowplow and, and like starts beating him up. And he's basically, I mean, he does kill him, but he's fighting him and he gets tired and the guy's all bloody and Liam's laying there out of breath. And the guy's like, are you tired? And they both laugh. It's like, okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, I almost think that in some ways it could have worked with Liam just totally being the straight guy and everybody else kind of being in this, like you said, guy, Richie, or to me, it, it felt like in Bruges a little bit, but the, I guess the first half of the movie, for me, I agree with you, it was, it was tonally like all over the place. Um, and I think that's because partially I wasn't sure what to expect, and I think also partially it's because they, they truly set up Liam's angle to be really dark. Like, There's this moment where uh, Laura Dern, uh, who plays Liam's wife, she decides to leave him, and she does that, and she leaves a note on the bed, and it's an entirely blank card. And I actually thought that was pretty funny, but it it just doesn't kind of work in the context of that scene because you know Liam's already been out killing people, and I get the humor in it, but in that moment, it just for me it didn't work. I was like, okay, well, it's you know, kind of, I guess it's not even funny. It's really freaking sad. You know, it, it, you could put it as a joke, maybe, but I took it as really freaking depressing that she didn't even write anything, but she just loved a blank card. Yeah, and, and I think that's the problem is that there's this kind of nuance that's happening in the first half of the movie where everything's kind of incongruous like it, it you're like is that supposed to be funny or am i do i think it's kind of funny because it's unintentionally funny or did they mean for me to think that's funny or is it supposed to be sad or is it all of the above and i think the first half of the movie really suffers with that i think the second half of the movie they they commit a lot more to the dark comedy aspect but i also think that's partially because liam kind of disappears through the middle of the movie and into like the the second and third act so i got i got two points on that you mentioned him disappearing so i felt like this was it's a weird comparison uh but the foreigner with jackie chan did you ever see that 
no, I haven't seen that, but I did see someone online make that same comparison. Oh, it, really? Yeah, somebody did. I forget where. Because it's a it's billed as like a Jackie Chan movie, and then the the guy and his plot line really disappears and doesn't matter, you know. And so, yeah, then all of a sudden it's a completely different movie with Pierce Brosnan, and you know, and this whole other plot line, which I felt kind of happened with uh with Liam and this of. Your, your build going into it with a Liam Neeson movie and really his plot line, it, it kind of gets things going, but he fades away and doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah, you're right. About midway through, it shifts into the entire drug battle between uh, Viking and White Bull, uh, the two leaders of the drug cartels. And then even once uh, William Forsyth is introduced as Liam Neeson's brother, uh, you know, he even gets a little bit more screen time as the movie goes on, because they, they mistake who's Liam tries to put a hit out on one of the drug Lords and they hear that it's Coxman who did it. And they think it's William Forsyth, not Liam Neeson. So everything shifts to be about this drug war and what's going on here. And even the cops chasing them and Liam's just kind of relegated to this background role for, I don't know, it feels like maybe 20 ish minutes. Yeah. And to go back to the dark comedy part is, the first scene that really was there was in the morgue, you know? Oh, yeah, totally, it, totally. So we've had no jokes, and I, I'm going to go back and, and watch it again, but there are no jokes up until his son is killed, and they're in the morgue. They pull him out, and they're pumping up his his gurney. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? You know, because we're not in that mood yet. You know, had had the beginning of it been that way, Okay, you know, that that's a funny scene, kind of, you know, dark comedy funny, but nobody is in that mood yet. Right. And that's the first thing that you that you drop on us of trying to get the body up. Yeah. That that like it just adds more pain to, to the situation. Yep. I had the same exact thought when they did that. I was like, okay, this is kind of funny. Like I found myself kind of laughing, but at the same time I was like, clearly this had to be done on purpose. There's there's no way you could deliberately put this scene and they even cut from like the gurney to the guy, the mortician, like back to Liam Neeson. So they're clearly making it a point that this is an exaggerated process, but you're right. It, it doesn't, you don't know yet that you're in a dark comedy. I mean, that's the really first clue that you get. And I, re I wish I had a better memory because I saw this Saturday morning, but I remember trying to keep mental notes of there's like three or four scenes. That was the first one. And then there's like two or three more that follow it over the next 15 or 20 minutes. And I remember thinking, these are really bizarre. Like they're, I can tell they're trying to be funny and this movie is not selling me on the fact that it's supposed to be funny. And then I kind of lost track of them. And I definitely on a rewatch want to see what those are, but they felt very out of place in the first half of the movie. They probably would have worked in the second half of the movie when they committed more to the dark comedy. So yeah, very unexpected, I think. Well, yeah, and it's almost as if they wrote the jokes and then try to build a scene around it. And then how do we make it fit into the movie? Yeah. And I all of a sudden, here's a, here's a random joke that we're going to throw in there. Native Americans, you know, on the reservation. You know, <laughs> yeah. do, 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 do you have a reservation? And you look at them, you know, and like, like that's, you, you know, they, they wrote that. And how do we put this into a, a movie? Well, let's send them to a hotel randomly. Right. And. Okay. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Before yeah. before I go I down more of the, of the jokes, I got to stop there. Um, <laughs> okay. So these these Native Americans are in Denver, right? Like their reservations yes. right yes. outside of Denver. That's their land. 
and they're at this ski resort as if they've never seen snow before. That was really bizarre. They're playing in the snow like like kids, and then he's watching people ski, and they've been there for thirty five years or whatever. You know, that's when they made that deal. You know, with, with White Bull or whenever that was. Yeah. And it's as if they've never seen snow. It's not like they were Arabic and coming from the desert or even Mexican and they never had this much snow before. But it was like they're playing it like they they live 10, 10 miles away from here. <laughs> I just didn't understand that. Right. So I didn't read into it like that. Um, my thought wasn't that they had never seen snow before. What I will tell you is that I didn't know how to read the scene because it was really, really strange. and. Yeah, it, it, I, now that you say that, I see how it could come across as that. I don't think there's any way, shape, or form that could actually be what they were trying to communicate in that scene. But what what were they trying to communicate in that scene? And so, and then the other part of me was like, okay, White Bull was thinking maybe I should buy the hotel instead of being in the drug business. I want out and open a ski resort, you know, because he he said I should have bought a casino like my brother did earlier. You know, yes, and so I think, yes. okay, I could get along with, with doing this, you know, where I live, you know, and I thought maybe somehow that was going to tie into the plot, but I, but they didn't do any of that because they showed him walking through the native American store and seeing it's all made in China, you know, just kind of have this idea of, oh, we could, we could make this authentic type of thing, but right. They just kind of left it and I just didn't get what they were doing with that at all. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't either. Um, so I, I totally am with you on on the snow scene. I'm glad you. I had kind of forgotten about that, um, and I remember scratching my head when it happened. Like, what 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 are we supposed to be taking from this? I really I don't understand. And then yeah, so to me, there's uh, I I don't know the best way to put this. I felt like at times they were almost trying to make some sort of social commentary on uh, Native Americans. There, there's one guy who clarifies that uh they're not apache i forget what type of of indian or native americans they are but he clarifies the the main drug dealer and the drug dealer gets mad about it um there's the you know yeah the made in china stuff where it's almost like he's going through the shop and he's really kind of somber about his heritage and stuff and then but then there's times where like there's some really kind of crass jokes about it and it, it comes across as feeling really hollow to the point where i was like uh, what are we doing here? I I can't, I mean, are you being kind of insensitive with something or are you trying to be serious about it? Like I can't, there was something I felt like wrong or I shouldn't say wrong, but like off on the approach to the native American stuff. And I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think it's this combination of like these really crass jokes about it that are kind of in, insensitive. And then these moments of trying to really tap into the importance of their heritage and their land and all that stuff. And I, I just, it didn't quite resolve itself in any meaningful way. Yeah. And, and it makes me feel like they brought in the native American element to tell two jokes. <laughs> just just, for, just the joke. for the joke. We converted just for the joke. <laughs> Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was the reservation joke at the hotel, but then also the make the Indian do it. Yes. You know, and they point to an actual Indian, a guy from India. Right. And the Native Americans are the ones that are saying it, basically saying, you know, don't call us Indians because we're not Indians, we're Native Americans. Yeah. It, and I felt like those two jokes are the only reason why they decided to make this second drug dealing plot Native Americans. 
I could see that. I mean, I, I liked it. I liked the approach because it, it sort of makes sense. Um, you know, the, the Indian casinos and reservations and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I liked the concept that, you know, you would have this faction of drug dealers that are Native Americans. That's cool and unique or something in terms of movie watching. But uh, I, I think if you just tuck some of that stuff out, it might not be too bad. Like the Indian reservation joke was actually like, it, it, it's not unfunny. It just didn't quite work. It was just kind of slapped in there to the point where, and I guess that was a, a lot of the jokes in this movie felt like just slapped in instead of some natural flow. Like the, the conversations in Guy Ritchie movies are usually part of these like free flowing dialogues. They're just kind of rapid fire. You have these quick witted guys and dialogue that's going back and forth. It's that's borderline Tarantino ish. And in Bruges, you kind of have the same thing where it's just like these natural conversations of what they're saying and talking about and doing are funny. They're not telling jokes. But this movie came across as, at least in certain instances, like, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke. And for me, a lot of times they, they weren't overly funny, like the Indian Reservation and the Yelp thing. I'm like, okay, haha, I get it. But like, it didn't actually make me laugh. No, I, I agree completely. And I'm actually glad to see a whole new crop of Native American actors. So we're not getting Magua, you know, in every movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoyed most of them. The, the one with the hat. Um, I really liked his persona and his look. His name yeah. is Glenn Gold. Um, I liked him. I'd like to see him in more stuff. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. Um, do you know who John Larroquette is? I do not. Oh, he was on Night Court. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. <laughs> White Bull looked exactly like him. It was bothering me. Like, I, I even, like, thought to myself, like, this isn't John Larroquette, is it? Um, but so, before that, though, they'd already introduced William Forsyth. And then, a little bit later, they take us up to where uh, White Bull's son has been killed, and he's strung up on the, the road sign. And they're, you can tell they're introducing White Bull because everybody's kind of around him. But they're showing him from the back and kind of from the side. I thought 100% for sure, to your point about reusing Native American actors, I thought that was going to be Bobby Six Killer. <laughs> see, that's so you, you told me that I was waiting for, for something and that you wanted to see my face before I saw the movie. And it ended up being William Forsyth, what you were talking about. But I thought Bobby Six Killer uh, was going to be one of the Native Americans as well. Yeah, I know. I. I I, I honestly, as they were painting the camera, if you had paused the movie and said place bets, <laughs> I would have dropped at least $100 and said, this is going to be Bobby Six Killer. Because if you're going to do William Forsyth, you, you, you're committing to some kind of 90s you know, renaissance of actors here for some reason. So make that Bobby Six Killer. And then it wasn't. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which there's to get credit for not putting him in this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree. I mean, I, I liked, there are certain stuff I liked about this movie. It just doesn't quite come together in the same way. And and I love In Bruges. I think it's fantastic. I, I rewatch it like once a year and every time I, I just love it. And it's one of the best dark comedies out there. So this movie feels like I should like it more. It just doesn't work for me. And I, I don't know why. It's like I, I find myself really wanting to like it, but I just don't. See, I, I agree. I think uh, the end it ended on a better note than when it started because it ended with a complete different movie but i feel like upon second viewing if you know that 
it's dark comedy-ish or it's going to go that route, you can enjoy the first part of the dark comedy when the upon a first viewing, you're more caught off guard by what's going on. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I actually found myself wishing that... Um, so after I watched it, and I hadn't talked to you about it yet, because really this is the first time we're talking about it, I, I kind of found, found myself wanting to delay doing an episode on this until we actually got a second viewing in, and not like we do when we rush out and see Infinity War twice or Star Wars twice, like back-to-back in theaters. I need this one to have time to kind of marinate a little bit, and then I need to come back to it on DVD, knowing what to expect, and just maybe the... Because honestly, I could see this movie changing substantially for me. Like I, I could see it swinging, you know, a full star easily just based on, you know, okay, expectations are out of the way. I kind of know what to expect now. Maybe the jokes land a little bit better. Um, but oddly enough, this is something that I, I would have almost liked to have just not talked about until we we got that DVD. Well, and that's why it's two views movies because I think you really get your your true, <laughs> you know, opinion when once you see it twice but uh, we didn't have time for that and i didn't even have a 24 hours to marinate on this thing you know and so uh, i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. waking up and you know having dreams about liam neeson's and uh, and here we are so well and i don't think this is the kind of movie that you need a lot of time to marinate on because it's not something that makes you think and it's not something that i i think you grow in appreciation for i think look that the action is plain There's nothing special about the action. So even as we joked about Liam Neeson being in Tooken 4, um, you're not getting even action scenes like that. It is, um, it's more death wishy in its action, I guess. He just beats a guy to death, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just beats up a guy, and when he he wants to kill him, he doesn't do it in any creative way, he just shoots the guy. So it's it's not even really an action movie at all. I I mean, it's probably going to get somewhat classified as that because of its plot and there is some shooting and violence and stuff like that but it's really not it's more of like yeah like a guy Ritchie crime movie or in bruges there's some guns there's some violence but it's not a shoot him up or beat him up or anything but like even that. when he choking out the first guy that he kills you know and then he he kills him and then the guy starts coughing you know and then he realizes he's not dead yeah choking <laughs> yeah. him out again but it's like we weren't in dark comedy mode yet and it was like, okay, this is Liam's right. first kill, so he's still learning what it takes to kill a guy, you know? And so yeah. you, you don't have that mindset of, oh, that, that's funny that he's not dead and he has to strangle him twice. But is that what they were going for there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. And so, again, second viewing, you can appreciate that. And I will say the lady that sat next to us, uh, she thought everything was hysterical. So uh, it's like, why is she laughing at this particular part, but maybe she was in on it before I was. So, yeah. And and that was kind of my point is that, you know, this movie isn't something that by thinking about it and marinating on it, like you're going to like it more. It's going to be that you, you revisit it. And for some reason, maybe the jokes click this time, or you're approaching it mentally with a different state of mind that, okay, this is, this was intended to be a dark comedy from the get go. And, you know, maybe they didn't do a good job of selling that in the first half, but if I can get myself in that state of mind going into it, then maybe I enjoy it a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, we could have podcasted five minutes after we saw this movie or, uh, you know, a month after we've seen this movie. I don't think the initial take is going to change until you until you get that second view in. Agreed. The one thing that uh, I, I like about this movie, so there, I mean, we kind of, you know, beating it a little bit uh, up but there are some things that i did like um i did like the title cards that came through every time somebody died 
Um, I thought that was just an interesting flair. I will say I was initially kind of confused by, I, I thought they were like Tarantino chapter cards at first. So when the first one came up, I thought that the name that they showed on the screen was going to be like about who we saw in the next little bit. But then when the second title card came up right after the second guy died, I was like, oh, no, no, they're, they're death cards. I See, get and it I now. felt, especially as it went, so I, I knew it was death card because I knew the guy's name who died, you know, and so I knew that that was him who died first because it's his son, right? That was the first one who died. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I picked that up, that he was, he was dead, had the cross and everything. And then as it went on, it seemed, and that's where I kind of got the, the Guy Ritchie of a kind of different thing. And then you had these sort of chapters of different people going on. But then it almost felt like the music was like Wes Anderson. Like it started this weird hokey, and I, can't, I couldn't get Wes Anderson out of my head. It's like, well, why is the feel is just really off from what we've gotten so far? Hmm, that's interesting because usually I, I hear the music and I think I'm usually yeah, out of the two of us in the podcast. I'm usually the one to to bring up the music. And then as you're saying that, like I can't remember a single piece of music from the movie at all. So I, I guess for me, I felt like it was wholly forgettable. But now I'm curious to to hear. So I have to go dig up the soundtrack. It's only during the the title cards and as they introduce the next the next scene. And so it was just very, I guess he's a very playful tone. Okay, yeah, and so maybe maybe that's where where it was. Of now we're getting into that, you know, end scene of snatch where everything's kind of tying together. So they're playing that kind of music. Um, that's what I'm picturing in my head right now, uh, or Lockstock or, or whatnot. And so that again, that's where I go back to the so Guy Ritchie plot line of you have all these different people and they all kind of tie together towards the end. And that's what I thought this was trying to do. And I do have to take my side for the poor man's poor man's Bruce Willis and uh and Emmy Rossum what did they have to do with the movie at all honestly it feels like exposition like they're but, but there they, to help they didn't offer any information that we didn't already know from the drug dealers or Liam Neeson they didn't tell him anything that he didn't already know no I, and I would have to go back and really pay attention to it like I mean, basically every scene that they're in, they're giving you some sort of information about um, Denver Vice and and the drug scene there and the the pact between. But I, I know they, I they do know that some us. of that. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I do know that that comes up inside conversations too. So I just don't know if there's any kind of um, any kind of information that they give you that you don't get anywhere else. Because that that's you're right. That's really all they're there for. Um, even at the end, it's not like they're on the hot on the trail of Liam or uh the or in the shootout or anything. Yeah, you're right. They're they're not there as any kind of force to move things along. It's it feels like every scene that they're there, they're just trying to give you some extraneous information about what's going on. So yeah, if it truly is like if we were to go back and watch it and there's nothing that they give you that uh you don't get other uh, other places then yeah they really serve no purpose. Yeah it's and maybe if she came up to Liam, you know, when he was working and uh said you know, I know your son was killed by drug dealers. And he's like, well, I already know that. Uh, the drug dealer's name, real name is this, and, and gives him that, you know, so he can continue on with the show like that. But he already figured that out already through his brother. And it just didn't fit. Now, I will say, though, Emmy Rossum, I haven't, I've seen her in stuff, apparently, because I didn't realize I had when I went through her IMDb. But like Day After Tomorrow and uh, what Poseidon, is that the other one? 
um, I think so, but uh, which she's clearly not very memorable in those. But I guess she had, and, I, and I've never seen Shameless, which I guess that's her big thing that she's been doing. Uh, but I really, really liked her. I really liked her in what I thought her role was going to be as an eager young cop type thing and get her involved in everything. I, I really liked her as an actress in this. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I disliked her, but I also wouldn't say, I guess that I liked her. Um, I just felt like she could have been anybody. So she, and, and truthfully, I guess that that's not a knock on her because I guess that's kind of what I would say about virtually everybody in the entire movie. Like there's nobody, there's nobody that gives a performance where you're like, oh man, that was such a good performance or you couldn't have been recast with somebody else. Like, I feel like everybody was completely interchangeable. It's like, I think she did a really good job at a plot line that should have been deleted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that may be the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not her fault. It's, that's the script's fault. But yeah, because this is a, this is a two hour movie and you cut out all, all the cop scenes, which are unnecessary because they don't do anything. And then you're at an hour and a half in a more digestible movie, I think. I guess what I'm saying is, would you have noticed any kind of difference if they recast everybody in this movie? Probably not. But at least her, I was like, oh, I like her. You know, and there, there's some, you know, had she been a different actress, you know, it might have been just like, okay, she's stereotypical cop that's looking to make change. You know, but, yeah. but I actually act, liked her as an actress, I think. And so I think it was more her than the role. And so I, I've never really seen her in significance before. And so I was like, yeah. oh, okay, who's that? Kind of like the same with, with White Bull and then uh, <laughs> the uh, Native American with the hat. I like both of them too. Yeah. I don't think I got a whole lot more to say about Cold Pursuit. I think we're running out of things to say for sure. All right. Well, then let's get to our questions. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say are you ready uh what did you rate it and why i'm that's hard again i've i'm going on what an hour and a half of being awake um since i've seen it and i think i'm between two and a half and a three uh probably closer to a two and a half if i yeah i think i'm gonna be at two and a half there gotcha what about you uh, yeah, I'm at a two and a half. In the movie, if you had caught me right when I walked out, I probably would have been closer to a two. Um, but, but two and a half, two seems a little harsh for this movie. Like, while I don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it just it didn't do itself any favors. Um, but it, it wasn't a bad experience for me. And I don't think it's poorly assembled. I just I think it could have done a little bit better. And and I do think I might like it a little bit more. Um, as I watch it, so I'm at a two and a half on that. Yeah, and I, the exact same thoughts. Oh, it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. Um, I think it's average to maybe a little bit over average. So that's kind of where I'm that that waffling between two and a half and a three. I, I don't think it's a three just from the the tone. Uh, yeah, problems. But um, I think two and a half is fair. It's an average movie. Yeah, and I will say that I can easily see some people walking out of this and being at like four stars. Um, because if the humor hits for you frequently, that's going to, that's going to make your mind up. It's not the action that's going to sell this. It's not any of the acting. It's the jokes and the humor. So if if that clicks with you early on, 
you are going to like this movie a lot. You'll be at a three and a half or a four easily. And so I, I'm not going to fault anybody for that because comedy and humor strikes people differently than like a drama that maybe just doesn't click or whatever. And I know everybody has different opinions about all sorts of movies, but I guess just in general, if you find this movie funny, it's going to be a lot higher for you. Yeah. So what was your favorite moment? Um, I went with the death cards. I, I thought that was the one thing that, you know, I've never really seen done in a movie. We've seen chapter breaks, like I mentioned before, but I thought that was kind of clever. And, you know, they, they gave the religious signs, like some people had the Catholic cross, some had the Star of David, some had Native American symbols. Um, but I, I thought that was a, it was a clever touch. I think if I had liked the movie even more, um, I think that still would have been one of my favorite pieces of it. Cause it's just, a, it's a little quirky touch that I liked. What's your favorite moment? See, my, I kind of grouped it towards the end of the movie. And once I, we were fully into the dark comedy and everything coming together. So it's kind of a cop out, but once it, I finally realized what it is that we were doing, uh, I started to enjoy it more and I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint an exact time. Um, and maybe, <laughs> and, and the, the image that I have is them playing in the snow, you know, the, these, these, these <laughs> drug dealing, you know, murdering Native Americans are playing in the snow. And, and while I don't know what that scene was, I, it, the levity of that scene changed my, my outlook of the rest of the movie, I think. Like I, I, so, so that scene was your favorite scene or your favorite moment? I, I think so. I think so. We're going we're gonna... to, but not for, so you're saying it's not for the scene itself. It's for how it changed your perspective on the movie. Right. So now I'm enjoying the movie differently than I was before. So I think that was the, the okay. I got you. I mean, that makes sense. I think that's a, that's a first for our podcast of that's the first time I think we've, I've heard anything resembling like, it's not even really about the movie itself. It's not the scene in the movie. It's what it did for your perception of the movie. So that, that's a, a I, I like it. I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting take, but I like it. Yeah. Cause I mean, there, there was no, I think standout scenes that were fantastic. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. So it was one thing you would change. So I would say I had my one thing I would change as I was watching the movie, and that was um, the stupid nicknames. I was getting really, really annoyed <laughs> with Viking and Speedo and all these names. Like, come on, this is like, I felt like it was trying a bit too hard, but I couldn't say that's one thing I would change because then I think they kind of made a self-referential joke about it when we finally figure out that William Forsyth's name is wingman and he explains to Liam Neeson that you know in the crime world everybody just has stupid nicknames I was like oh okay well that was being really annoying and now you guys addressed it and kind of made a joke out of it so I guess it's supposed to have been tongue-in-cheek the whole time so I couldn't use that one (laughs) so the one thing I would change though is I would have let Liam in on some of the humor it's I just I mean we've seen Liam be angry you know, grumbly guy looking for revenge, being the dude who talks real quiet and low and threatening and everything like that. Um, and I get that maybe they were trying to have him be that straight guy and everything else around him be that guy Richie feel. But I mean, let Liam do something a little bit different. Let him in on a little bit of the dark comedy. I, I get he's, you know, his son is the one who died. And he's out for revenge. But like, I don't know, that, that, that was the one thing about this movie that felt really weird to me is that Liam's never in on any of the fun. Yeah, and that's that's my change too. Is just, and I mentioned it before is the tone, um, and that really comes from his his story. And so you're you're absolutely right. Is let him in on the rest of the movie because 
beyond the pumping up his dead son's body on a gurney, which is not a funny time for him. You know, that's the only, I think, joke that he's in, involved in at all. Um, yeah. At least that that kind of looks like a joke. Uh, now that I'm, I mentioned the strangling, I guess that could be a joke too. And then... Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's the strangling that where he gets tired. I think some of the snowplow scenes are kind of funny. Like when he's chasing the guy in the yellow, it, it felt very Jaws-ish to me because you've got this big snowplow throwing up snow coming up behind the guy. I mean, that's not really liam getting in on the humor it's just kind of the movie even though it's liam driving so they give him some small things it's just not enough compared to what everybody else but has. that could also be interpreted as he's just trying to run him down and, and murder them oh yeah. yeah i mean that is i think that is the interpretation <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that. whether you find it funny or not funny that's just how he's killing him is chasing him with a snowplow <laughs> right but that the way it's framed and shot i think that's what makes it funny but again that's not a credit to liam that that could have been anybody driving that <laughs> so so your casting change what's your one one casting change and who would you swap out uh i just went low-hanging fruit and just said take william forsyth out of there because it's just such an odd casting decision and i don't have a good replacement because like i said i think in this movie you could literally replace everybody with somebody else and it would not change the movie at all there's nothing unique about about any of the performances uh you could literally swap in whoever you want you know i'm gonna make you pick somebody yeah and, and you won't get somebody out of this because what i'm saying is you could literally you throw, throw like, all names like out of a hat john travolta you can't put him in there no i wouldn't want john you travolta said anybody so no you you can <laughs> i'm saying you can so it's like it's like a you know wild card just you know, pick names out of a hat, and that's who you can put in this movie for for his brother, because they they, well, they, yeah, they but, do not but, look like brothers. Let's just start start there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone that kind of well, looks like Liam, you know? Yeah, no, not even close. I mean, I think they did a good job of making his son kind of look like him, but yeah, they just threw that out the window when they made William Forsyth his brother. But no, you you could replace Liam with virtually anybody, and I you, it would work. I mean, look, Stellan Skarsgård was in the original, and you could have put him in this one. And it would have been literally the same. It wouldn't have mattered. You could take the bad guy out who was this really weird millennial modern American psycho kind of villain. But you could have put anybody in there. Like there's honestly nobody that had a unique enough role that they couldn't be recast. So I'm going to take Stellan as your replacement for William Forsyth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would have been a nice little nod. It right? would have been. So that, that's your... That's going in the log of that's who you're replacing because you got to have a name. You, you, you did yeah, this I last mean, time on Glass and you put any lady for Glass's mom. I'm not getting you, let, letting you get away with <laughs> anyone else. It needs specific on I, I believe from here going forward. I believe, hold on, I believe I said any elderly lady. <laughs> so not, so not selling for, for Glass's mom. <laughs> right. But no, I mean, actually, to your, to your point and to your credit, I guess. Stellan would have been a good thing because, you know, you kind of get that sometimes in these remake movies. You give a little nod to the original. So instead of him being the the main guy, he's the brother. And like, oh, ha, ha, ha nod, tongue-in-cheek. I like it. Yeah, that, that's a good suggestion. Okay, good. So now I can go. Yes. <laughs> so watching the movie, uh, I immediately pinpointed the villain as this is somebody that I'm going to replace. And because I hated the Viking in the first probably three-fourths of the movie. And then uh, after the movie, I'm like, you know, he fit 
not, I mean, he's not great, but he kind of fit what they were going for. So I pulled out Liam and I put in, um, <laughs> so I was going for a guy who I think could pull off some comedy. Um, a guy who I believe would be driving a snowplow, uh, in an unassuming, um, dad on revenge mm-hmm. that we haven't seen before. And so I went with Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You really went against the grain. I there. did. I did. Did you think I was going to go Dennis Quaid? Cause I almost went Dennis Quaid, but yeah, Dennis Quaid seems, seems more in line. Um, you know, not something he's necessarily done before, but yeah, you could see him being angry, vengeful kind of guy. Colin Firth is just too Hugh Grantish to be anything like grumbly serious. Like, but see, was he yeah, I, I, I can't. The Dennis Quaid was too. I don't think he's goofy enough for this movie. You know, I think he'd be a good revenge person. Like I mentioned in, in Death Wish, he he should be that type of guy. But Colin Firth can have that goofiness side that i think this movie needed in his role yeah i don't know i i feel like colin firth is too like i said almost too goofy and lighthearted in a way and while i agree that that plays better for comedy i'm not sure that that plays better for dark comedy i I think you still got to have a little bit of that grit to you uh and, and griminess to be able to pull off the dark comedy and i'm not sure that firth has even announce. I mean, of that. you don't sell it as a, a taken movie with Colin Firth as your lead. You have to change the marketing up on this. But yeah, and I'm fine with it. I'm actually fine with it being marketed kind of how it was. I just think that you need somebody. Liam just played it too serious. I think he's capable of doing it. But and I'm fine with replacing Liam. I just I think you're going too far on the other end of the spectrum with Firth. I just think it it'd be it's not the right style of comedy. He doesn't have the dark comedy in him. He's got the, you know, like it's a little bit, like I said, more goofy. And I think that's what I needed because uh, the rest of the characters tend to be more goofy. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. Goofy is a little strong to me. I mean, it's he not, doesn't have to go silly. full on Firth. I mean, I think he has the range to go somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but I, I think he just. You don't think he could beat somebody with have... bare hands and be believable? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's just he doesn't, he, he just has a reputation, right? So you you can't not see Colin Firth up there when you're doing that. And it just becomes absurd at that point as opposed to the subtleness of like the dark comedy aspect. Like if it, if it was trying to be an over-the-top comedy take on a Revenge Dad stuff, then sure, Colin Firth, because it's completely against the grain, he's silly, whatever. But in this style of movie, um, especially when you like look at dark comedies, in the past that the people have tried to do. I, I don't know that that one, that, that first I, one I just feel like it fits because of it's this kind of dark comedy. That's that's I, we'll, we'll, we'll disagree on that one. <laughs> so what award are you giving this movie? Uh, um, I, I didn't have a good answer for this either. Cause again, I'm, Hold on. You rake me over the coals for my casting decisions. And then I didn't say, ha- I didn't say I didn't saying, have an answer. Hold I on. I didn't have a good answer. <laughs> well, what what was your the second best Tarantino movie award last last episode? And then now you're you're saying you don't have a good one here? I mean I didn't say it was good. I didn't, at me on the I didn't say I didn't cha- have one. <laughs> I'm at least gonna <laughs> if you're, if you're gonna, question. I'm like you. I'm at least gonna answer No, no, I I, said I answer the question. The question is who would be replaced and with and anyone. With whom. No, you have to pick somebody. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling as William Forsyth. Yes. <laughs> there, problem solved. Yeah, I have it. 
I have a, a check mark here against Gosling. You can't use him for the next four movies. So Keanu. <laughs> Keanu. So um I said best guy Richie uh impression. Uh I don't know. Um I don't know about that. I, I feel like or or you could say worst guy Richie impression. <laughs> yeah, I mean it goes both ways. Yeah, so I, I do think I would almost go with but see, worst. Yeah, but see, I, um, I hesitate on the worst because it's not a terrible movie. Yeah. Sure. And so I don't want to put it down because I'm sure there are there are far worse ones that I haven't seen. But this is close to it, but definitely an impression. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Guy Ritchie is a good thing to say that, like, in some ways I could see where this movie tried to... Uh, tried to be like that but in many ways it, it didn't because it it definitely in no way has sort of the kinetic energy of a guy Ritchie movie where things are just happening all over the place and there's crazy cutscenes and you're jumping back and forth from one storyline to another this movie is much more slow much more deliberate i i think the vein in which it is similar to a guy Ritchie movie is that it's it's crime based and it's trying to have a little bit of fun inside that crime world but i don't think it's trying to be that uh, you know, lock, stock, or snatch. It, it's nowhere near the pacing or speed at which that stuff goes. So I, I kind of get that. I get what you're saying from like the the funny crime angle, but I don't know that it was even trying to be Guy Ritchie. I, I feel like it's trying to be more of the Martin McDonough movie. So I've never seen Seven Psychopaths, but in Bruges, um, Three Billboards isn't a, a, a great comparison, but it's like a dark comedy, and it's more in that vein to me than it is like the we're actually going to have fun silliness. Like I could see Colin Firth being in uh, a Guy Ritchie movie. I could not see him being in like In Bruges or uh, you know Three Billboards or whatever. That well, is. I think this was trying to do the you have four different groups and they all culminate together. I just don't think that they did it well. Like I felt like they were trying to trying to do that kind of thing and then tie it all together somehow, and I just don't think it did it well. But I think that's what was attempting to happen. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I'm just saying that it's not approaching it in the same style as Guy Ritchie, if that makes sense. Uh, see, and, and and I thought that that's what, that was the aim, and they didn't do it. Yeah, I I think I'm not disagreeing with you totally. I just feel like it's all about the presentation and i think this movie was trying to be like visually dark a little bit more slow a little bit more deliberate but still have that dark comedy aspect to it whereas guy Ritchie movies are they tend to be you know fast and you know really really uh kinetic is the best way i can say it like you're constantly moving like boom 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 and this is not like that this is like much more slow and, well, I think, and deliberate. But see, the thing with like Seven Psychopaths and in Bruges, you, you you have more of a towards the end they let you in on something, you know, that you didn't quite know before, and they, they tie it back to like a flashback of some sort of that makes sense of it. It's more of a kind of a bouncing around feel, I think. Um, and this this is pretty straightforward. It all kind of moved together. Uh, say, I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths, but in in Bruges, it's pretty straightforward. There's not a ton of uh, of bouncing. And I'm, around. I'm more talking about Seven Psychopaths. I've only seen In Bruges once. Oh, okay. um, a long time ago. But need to watch it more. <laughs> okay, but uh, Seven Psychopaths, I really enjoyed that, by the way. Um, but 
it uh it didn't have this feel at all gotcha i haven't seen it so i can't so what award would you give this um i'm giving it the liam neeson ruined everything award (laughs) (laughs) that goes from how is that an award that's more just a statement uh uh no, we can we can make up awards. You you we've made stuff but up. That's not a a best you, you or a can, worst. That's just a statement that Liam Neeson ruined everything. All right, you can be the you ruined everything award, and I'm giving it to Liam Neeson. <laughs> Deal. Okay. Because... I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> At least it makes makes sense. But but maybe since it's the first inaugural award, it's just going to be called the Liam Neeson ruined everything award, and then anybody else that wins it afterwards will be winning the Liam Neeson ruined everything wow, award based on Cold Pursuit. So, in six <laughs> years from now, we're on our podcast. Why did Liam Neeson get this? Oh, from Cold Pursuit that no one saw. Right. Well, I don't know. But but people will remember <laughs> the part of the reason why he ruined it. I mean, he torpedoed the marketing campaign a week or two before its release. And then... Yeah, that didn't help. Yeah. And so, it's, it, I, you know, partially tongue-in-cheek giving it to him because of what blew up in the, in the weeks before this. Because they basically canceled the red carpet uh, based on the things that he said. But then I, I'm also kind of referencing the movie where, uh, you know, it's, again, nobody told Liam we weren't making Tooken 4, and it, it just kind of doesn't work. So, I, you know, not necessarily on him. It could have been the writer. It could have been the director. But it's Liam's role. It's his, you know, grumbling, gravelly voice the entire movie that is the thing that kind of feels out of place. So it, it made sense to me to give it the, the first ever Liam Neeson ruined everything. Wow. Over. Okay. <laughs> so if you liked this movie you would also like yeah we've i said this a million times during the movie if you like this movie i think you'll like in rouge and i haven't said this yet but if you liked this movie then you'd also like snatch yeah and yeah okay if you like this movie you'd like snatch and i've said that throughout this entire podcast and you're you're now taking exception to it yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I don't know. That's tough. I, I Generally speaking, I think you're right. Um, I just think there's some pretty drastic differences. Um, it's not as, I guess it's not as on the nose to me as, as in Bruges, but I, I think that's, you're probably right. I mean, I think you'd enjoy Snatch, general public. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, Cold Pursuit, down. Another Liam Neeson movie, down. Um, be interested to see when we get another Liam movie. Hey, this was better than what he started last January with. Commuter? Yes. I still have so, never seen that. Arrow pointing up, <laughs> I guess. Thank you, Todd Haley. <laughs> um, are you going to go watch Hard Powder, a.k.a. In Order of Disappearance? I am not. I, if I get bored one time and I find it on a streaming service, I might flip it on just to see what it, you know, how I feel about it compared to this one. But yeah, I'm not in a rush to go see it by any means. No, I don't need to see Stellan as a, as a leading man. Yeah, I agree. Pass. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I think that does it for us. I honestly don't know what we're covering next week. I think there's a possibility that what it's Lego movie or Alita battle angel, or if we can't get to the theater, we pivot to a Netflix original. So, uh, you probably won't know what we're going to cover next week until we release our episode. It's a mystery. Yeah, mystery episode for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, like usual, the way you can help us out is to go out to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. That helps us tremendously. The other big thing, please go hit subscribe, whether it's Google Play, whether it's Apple Podcasts. Just hit subscribe so that every time we release a new episode, it downloads to your phone and you don't have to wait for us to remind you that we've got a new episode. 
Other than that, you know how to reach us, twoviewsmovies at gmail.com, Twitter, Facebook, all those fun places. And we will catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both.